Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. I want to open with John chapter 4 and start with verse 46. Once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, He went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, His servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed having come from Judea to Galilee. We are still talking about the love of Jesus for the world. What's the job of the church? Late, I've been, I've I've made friends with a a writer, a professional writer. At the beginning of the pandemic, I got to meet one of my favorite writers online. We finally met back in, in in January, but I got to meet uh, one of my favorite writers online. His name is Mark Reinhagen. Um, yeah, he writes spooky science fiction stuff. I get it. But in, lear- in in talking with him and working with him, and he's been teaching me how to be a better writer. One of the things that he's taught me is if you can't sum up what you're writing in one sentence, it's not focused. And I like that. It has made me a better writer. If I can't tell somebody in one sentence what my story is about, it doesn't have a focus. I think that applies to more than writing. I think that applies to the church. What's the job of the church? If we can't describe in a sentence or two what the job of the church is, we probably don't have a lot of focus and we probably don't know what we're doing. Um, We need to come together and agree what our job is. The purpose of the church is to show God's love to the world. We're, we're still talking about what it means to be united as a church. We're, we need to be, we, we're, working, we're working our way through unity as a subject. And unless we can get united behind the common purpose of the church, we will fail. Think, think of sports. You get a sports team together. Many of us have played on sports teams, and this may describe sports teams that we've played on. Half the people want to win, Half the people want to showboat, show off, and have fun. And when that happens, neither get their way. (laughs) You're not going to win, and you're not going to look good, and nobody's having fun. 
Teams need to decide. Is the most important thing winning at all costs? Is the most important thing having fun? Is the most important thing showing off and looking good? I like the Harlem Globetrotters. They're fun to watch. <laughs> um, they're, they're having fun. That's, that's their goal is to showboat, to have fun. That, that, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what the goal is. Our goal as a church is to grow in the love of God. We want to grow closer to God, and we want to help other people grow closer to God. We know him, and we want to know him better. Other people don't know him at all, but we all need to get to know him better, to share the love of God with each other, to grow in the love of God with each other, to bring, you know, it's all about salvation. So we're looking at the love that Jesus shows for the people, his people, throughout the book of John. And, and I want to keep reading. We, we, we read the end of the chapter 4. I want to read the beginning of chapter 5, continuing on, uh, and see how God, through Jesus, shows his love for those in need. So John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. I, I just want to pause right here. If you ask, a few years ago, the church helped me go to Israel with, with the college. Hand over heart, that was the best thing I saw in Israel. Because there's lots of things that I thought, well, maybe Jesus walked here. But that pool is still there. And walking all the way around the pool, it was incredible to think, this is, without a doubt, this is that pool. You know, it's not, not open to debate. This is where Jesus stood around, you know, and walking all the way around it. I know that at some point my footsteps crossed his, and that's amazing. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. They, there was this belief that when the waters were stirred, it wasn't just the wind, it was maybe an angel. And that, that God blessed his people at that pool, and that's why the, the lame were around there. They were hoping that God would miraculously heal them. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. We have to care for people in need. That's a pretty simple sentence. You know, we might ask, 
Why do we come back to this? Why do bad things happen to good people? And we've talked about this before, and there are no easy answers. I, I can make analogies of dentist chairs that the short term pain is worth long term wellness. That analogy has been made. I can talk about living in a fallen world that God allows Satan to be prince of this world for a short time. We can also talk about free will, that for us to have free will, we have to have the option of doing right and doing wrong. All of these are true. They they all work. But when you're in the midst of suffering, I don't know that they feel good to hear that or help. Suffering is unpleasant. It's terrible. 20... 20-ish years ago, rounding off, 20-ish years ago, my mother had a stroke around the age of 55, again, rounding off. Um, It has left her for the past 20 years paralyzed on half of her body. Um, It has been terrible for her. Prior to that, she was a phenomenal typist for the church, back when you had typewriters and needed those. Well, even computers, you still have to type. Piano player, knitting circles and sewing circles at the church. She was very active. Now, there's none of that ministry. That She can't do any of that. She, can heart, she can't live on her own. My father is her, is her, her caregiver. Uh, since that time, she's had three grandkids. She can't do much of anything with them. I mean, she loves them, obviously, I don't want to say, and, and, and hugs them with her one good arm, but she can't get on the floor or play with them. Or um, She's come to visit. She can't go upstairs in my house and... and and see Callie's bedroom and toys and things like that. Her life is at the mercy of those around her. Uh, Very little that she can do. That's terrible. But something else I've seen is that my father has had to change his entire life to take care. He is absolutely her, her caregiver and has spent the last 20 years serving her and, and would trade places with her in a heartbeat. Let me be very clear. Would do anything and has tried to do everything. Um, trips to all these different doctors to try to figure out what could, what could restore that connection between the brain and the nerves. But in 20 years, I have watched him minister and care for my mother in ways that he never had to before. And to see a sacrificial service that he never got to see before. And I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, just the opposite. I think, I think it's difficult on both of them. But he's absolutely learned a depth of ministry and service that he could have only read about on paper before my mother's stroke. I'm not saying that I'm happy that her stroke happened by any stretch. I, I, I don't think anybody is reading into that. It's a terrible thing. And if I could snap my fingers and heal her instantly, I would. But there is something to be said about while there is pain and there is suffering, there is a chance to minister and serve. And that doesn't mean that we like pain and suffering, but we do need to minister. And maybe God allows horrible things in our world to continue to exist so that we can continue to minister and serve as Christ ministered and served us. I get asked frequently, Where can I be used? How can I serve God? God wants all of us to be ministers, to minister to those in need. Sickness and bad health is certainly a universal. Um, God wants us to do that. Suffering is is, is terrible, but it's an opportunity 
to allow us to minister to others. And, and when we are sick or in need, it's a chance to let others minister to us. Now, I'm just as guilty about this as anybody. If I am going through a bad time, pride, I can do it myself, kicks in. and I shove everybody away and keep things very private and, and, and leave me alone because it feels like I'm admitting in weakness and yet I expect everybody else to let me serve them when they're in their time of need. And I need to be reminded that I can't do it on my own and to not refuse other people the chance to minister as well. That's just selfish and prideful, and I don't need that kind of pride in my life. Now, let me, having, having said all of this, let me offer a caution. Don't, don't make a big deal out of it. Jesus did not make a big deal out of ministering to the needy. Um, it wasn't about getting thanks. He frequently told people, keep quiet, don't tell everybody I did this. We get the example of the man healed at the pool. Jesus healed him and he snuck off into the crowd. This guy didn't even know who healed him. It was so, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, subtle, (laughs) Um, secretive. It certainly wasn't showy. Ministry is not about drawing attention to ourselves. It is about pointing towards God and our need for God. We serve others and they see God in us. And they draw closer to God because of that. We have to care for those in need. We also learn from these passages, we're reminded that we have to trust in God. The, these, these two stories back to back, I, I, I think that John is very, very cautious on what he puts in his gospel. As I said before, like a quarter of the book is the Last Supper. Um, there are no parables. We know that Jesus taught by parables. There are no parables in John. Very few miracles. He's very, very choice in which miracles he puts in his gospel. And I think it's not an accident that he puts these two back to back because in some ways they're direct opposites. Jesus tells in the first miracle that we read um, that without miracles, people don't generally believe. He said, uh, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. And he tells that to the guy that believes. (laughs) The guy that went from Capernaum down to Cana to find him. Jesus says, go home, your son is healed. And he believes Jesus. He trusts him. We we look at this man and say, this is a man of faith. I I respect this man's faith. On Jesus' word alone, rather than try to force Jesus to come with him, lay on hands, he believed that Jesus could heal cross-country. Which, you know, 2023, we who've accepted Christ as our Savior and read the whole Bible, maybe that doesn't surprise us. But remember that people didn't have, they didn't see God that way back then. Jonah thought he could go from Israel to Spain and get away from God. Uh, That God wasn't, universal. The healings were rare enough back then anyway. This is early enough in Jesus's ministry. The fact that this guy believed is a big deal. The fact that Jesus said, yeah, go home, your kid's fine. And he, and he does it. This guy is a man of, of, of unusual faith at this time in Jesus's ministry. Uh, because I, I got to be honest, I would have been, are you sure you can't come with me? What, how, how much money? What would it take to get you to leave Cana, come to Capernaum with me? Because my child is so important to me. And, 
And obviously this was, obviously this was a multi-day trek to walk from Capernaum to Cana because it was the next day while he was still walking home that he met the people from his house that said, your child is better, and he did the math. And so it was like a two-day trip down, two-day trip back. This official believed in Jesus. This is a guy of faith. And then we've got the guy at the pool who's never heard of Jesus. The complete opposite. He doesn't know. Jesus says, do you want me to help you? And he doesn't know who he's talking to. He's like, yeah, I'd like to get down in the water, but nobody... He, he still thinks it would be great if somebody would carry me into this pool. He has no idea who Jesus is. He doesn't know that Jesus is offering to heal him. He just thinks that he might have found somebody nice enough to help him get into the pool. He has no idea who Jesus is, and Jesus heals him anyway. Liter- a man of, of incredible faith and a man with zero faith in Jesus. Hasn't even, doesn't have any idea who he is. And, and, and I have to believe that John put these two back to back for a reason. And, and then we ask, what about all these other people at the pool? Because these were people who were at the pool this wasn't the only man. In fact, he complains that people were getting into the pool ahead of him all the time. It's not a big pool. It, it, it really isn't. Um, it might be the size of our overflow. Uh, it's, it's not a huge pool, I, and, and probably only a staircase or two down into it. You know, only one person, or one or two people at a time. This guy had been there 38 years waiting for a healing. Um, and, but others were there that needed healing. And Jesus didn't heal those other, other people. And, and surely some of those people that were waiting to be healed did know who Jesus was, this great healer from Galilee. Why didn't Jesus heal them? Why doesn't Jesus heal us when we need it? Why do some people recover from cancer and some people don't? Some people recover from strokes and Some people don't. Why don't the ones who have faith in Jesus get better all the time? Isn't that what following God is about? What good is our faith if God doesn't heal us when we need him to heal us? That's tough, isn't it? We we don't follow God for the rewards, for the money, for the health, even for heaven, although we might initially. That would be like getting married for money or looks or a house or a retirement plan. Um, we follow God because he loves us. Now, because he loves us, there is a heaven. Because he loves us, he does answer prayer, not always the way we want it. God himself is our reward, and faith means trusting in him even when we don't get our way. If the only reason that we follow God is to get what we want, that's not faith. It's not sacrifice. The Bible tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's not easy. But true faith is obedience to the one who loves you, not the one who rewards you. Now, we've got, we have four pets at our house. Uh, we have a dog named Taffy. We have, Callie has two, the dog is Pam's, very clear on that. <laughs> we have two guinea pigs, Misty and Carmel, and the guinea pigs are Calypsos. 
And then there is the eternal hermit crab. I had him when we moved here. Um, still got him. Um, Mentolo, yes, it's a comic book character. Um, and and I will say the dog, Pam, Callie has done kind of some fun things. You know, the old, you can't teach an old dog. Dogs are kind of trainable. You can kind of train them. When we got the dog, there were certain phrases she already knew. Go lay down, she knows that phrase. She came with that. Very, we got her from a pound. She came with go lay down, and she came, there was one other phrase that she, does she know Sid? Okay. Callie has been trying to teach her to jump through a hoop. It's not been a complete failure. She's, it, she, she's done better than I would have expected. Um, we, we had, um, you guys know Peter and Tina over, uh, Peter just retired from the Presbyterian church. He was the minister over there. Tina is a whiz with dogs. This dog hated me, feared, afraid of me. And Tina taught us with treats how to get to the point where the dog wouldn't just run from me. I'm not Taffy's favorite human being on earth, but she, she it worked. Treats, treats as a reward for a dog, not a, not a bad deal. Um, guinea pigs don't seem to be trainable. I'm not unconvinced that I, the more treats I give them, I think they're just becoming fat and spoiled. I don't, I don't think I've done any good trying to train them to not gnaw on the bars of the cage or anything. Let's not even get to the fact that the hermit crab doesn't seem to be trainable in any sense. Okay? Um, for the dog, the rewards, maybe they do a little bit good. Maybe I, I think that they're okay. Treats, rewards for the guinea pigs is just rewarded them for being rodents. That's all we're doing. We're just rewarding them for, for eating and sleeping and doing their thing. We're not animals, Right? It, we don't follow God for the rewards. God doesn't treat us like animals. He treats us like children. He loves us, and his love compels us to be our best. And our best is Christ-like. And that's, how we, not, that's just not a selfish thing that I keep to myself. It's not just something that I share with people in this congregation. To be Christ-like is to share that with the world. Now, it's interesting that later, Jesus finds this man. It's not just two healings. Jesus finds this man that he healed at the pool, and he tells him something. He says, See, you are well again. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. See, sin is our real problem. Jesus tells him very bluntly, There are worse things than being lame. I have no idea what Jesus could have been referring to. I've not even read any commentator that's dared to guess because it's just too vague. We don't, did, he, did sin make him lame 38 years earlier? Was he caught up in some sin that Jesus knew about and, 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 and felt compelled to address? We do read in, in John chapter 9 that sin doesn't cause blindness. People back then believed it. And Jesus has to address, that's not why this man is blind. It's not to do with sin. We get the impression that whatever it was, it must have been something that was in this guy's life habitually for Jesus to call him out and tell him, knock it off. This much I know. There are worse things that can happen to you than getting sick. There are, in fact, worse things that can happen to us than dying. And I, I think, you know, 
Some people will get that and some people will say, how can you say that? But, but sin separates us from God. And that is a fate worse than death. Now somebody's going to say, Jason, are you saying that when I sin, I am now separated from God and destined for hell? No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Um, sin, not, nothing can pull you from God's side. Sin can't pull you out of the arms of God. Only you have that power. You can leave. That's different than being pulled out from from the protective arms of God. Uh, God doesn't hold you so tight that you can't walk away if you want to. And that's the problem of sin. The power of sin is that it makes us want to leave God. To not do it his way, but to do things our own way and to go off on our own. Sin is our choice. A little here won't hurt, a little there won't, won't pull me away from God. And we can say that, and a little bit, I mean, again, God forgives us, but there's a difference between sins and sin. Sins are these things I do. Sin is a lifestyle. It's kind of like if I say, well, a Twinkie won't add pounds to my waist. True, the first one, but I, if I say that every hour on the hour, that's a different thing right? Sin, sin is like that. And, and the question then isn't with sin, well, what's the least amount I can get away with? Because now we've already decided that we're trying to get away with as much as we can. And, and that's our problem. Sin is a problem. Too often in the church, we try to dodge that. We say sin has no power over us. Christ has freed us from the power of sin, so we don't need to talk about sin anymore live and let live. Let's talk about how much God loves us instead. Let's, let's not talk about sin. Let's leave sin out of this. The problem is the Bible does talk about sin. Jesus talks about sin. That's the thing that he tells this guy about. He, this guy shows up, runs into Jesus at the temple, wants to tell him thank you, and Jesus' first words to him are, knock it off. It's going to get worse. It matters. Jesus doesn't dodge the issue, and we should not either. Because maybe worse can happen to us if we take sin lightly. Sickness is temporary. One way or the other. We either get better or, or, or we don't. But either way, sickness is temporary. But the consequences of being separated from God, that's eternal. Our relationship with God matters. It's the most important thing we own. Cherish it. Hang on to it. Don't let go. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 131. Jesus asked this guy, do you want to get well? Well, that is the important question, isn't it? This man may not, this man may not have wanted that. Uh, it's a fair question. Uh, I don't do a lot of counseling. I don't claim to be good at it at all. When I've been in counseling as I've shared that I've had my own struggles with depression and such through the years, I appreciate that counselors will often ask, do you want to get better? And the first time I heard that, that boggled my mind. But then it dawned on me some people don't. Some people like being sick. They get the sympathy. They get people fussing over them. Maybe maybe they like, you know, this guy might not have wanted to get better because he could sit at the pool and beg for alms because he... Yeah, because he couldn't do anything. Now that he's better, he's going to have to go out and get a job, which he probably hasn't had for 38 years. He's going to have to be responsible, and he may, not want to, he may not want that. 
Jesus' question isn't flippant. It makes sense. There are people out there that don't want the responsibilities. They don't want to be better. They don't want to be fixed. Now, I think this guy's ability to now run and play and hold an honest job, and I think these are things that are worth worth the sacrifice uh, of that he gives up. And I say sacrifice, he's giving up his former lifestyle to be well. Likewise, some people like their sins. They don't want to get better. They don't want to come into the light. They don't want their darkness exposed. But some of us want to get rid of sin and live lives as God made us to live. Uh, what we were made in the garden to live with him, what we're meant to live with him in eternity uh, as. You know, if that's you, if you want to li- be who God made you to be, live with him in eternity, but you haven't made that decision to follow God and live for him and with him, I'd like to talk with you about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.